always a silence. I know. I don't know why we do that, do you? Hello, LinkedIn. There's always a bit of a delay anyway, so we're not too worried. But um, hi, everyone. Hi, LinkedIn. We're going live today. So, um, and I've got the power to introduce the session. Tim's giving me permission. Welcome back to our social advocacy series. Uh, and today we are oh, we are so delighted to welcome Vanessa Vallely OBE, who is the CEO and founder of We Are The City. And um, I don't know what, how we want to kick off. I think, to be honest, Vanessa, you should just give us a bit of a a potted history about yourself and what you do um yeah i think this is going to be a good one guys so and please make sure you pop some comments in and questions as we discussion goes i think you guys can have lots of questions so um so yeah welcome vanessa thank, thank you. you thank you for having me um oh. i'm to be with you all right potted history where do we start so i'm gonna start at the beginning so um vanessa valerie uh Grew up in the east end of London, left school at 16, had big dreams around working in a bank, which was 15 minutes on a bus for me at the, that particular time. However, didn't necessarily have the things that would take me into a successful career in a bank. So not the greatest academic um, education, bit of a wide Cockney accent. Um, but what I did have was passion and determination. And if you're going to give me something to do, I was going to crack it. So kind of turned up with a little bit of that attitude, got a job in a bank, which I lost after six months because of that cheeky, chippy attitude. Um, and I thought my world was over. Um, but learnt resilience from a very young age. So kind of went back, got a job in technology, working as a receptionist for a tech firm when computers were just going into the city. So it was very much, um, you know, coming off a pen and paper. I knew something, I had a skill that no one else had at the time. I knew how to turn a computer on because I'd learned that like in my school years. I'm really aging myself here. <laughs> but kind of was watching these computers flying into city, people going, you know, a bit like how they feel about AI now. I'm not touching them. It's going to take my job. And obviously all the training programs that kind of went with them, all the software. So and we're going back to, like pre-Windows. So I kind of found my love of technology there. Um, and that kind of spawned going into training, um, from training, being a training manager, to delving in the back end of PCs, to doing a bit of programming and developing, to doing some support, and then kind of up more, uh, kind of coming out of technical routes and going more into kind of PMO, project management, uh, project uh, program director, program management, then into kind of more chief of staff and more COO roles. So I jumped, I think it was nine different uh, financial firms during that time. Um, I got a lot of things right, but I got a lot of things wrong at the same at the same point. But one of my kind of big observations when, if anything, it was too late in my career, but as I kind of got into my 40s, as I've been so tunnel visioned about, you know, being successful in my own career and proving everyone wrong and, you know, getting to what I thought my dream was, which was a big job title in a big bank with all the trims that come with it, that I'd, I'd kind of left behind a little bit of something that's a big part of me, which is about bringing other people on. And I was sitting in a room at one of the investment managers, very large one, trillions under management, I'll say no more. And I was just thinking, how do I get more women in this room? Because I've got here through and on hard work, a lot of putting my hand up for work that no one else wanted to do, um, a lot of taking risks, because I had nothing to lose. And I kind of got there and I thought, okay, how do I lay a pathway for more diversity around this table? And initially my thinking was around gender. 
and there was nothing there. There was a few networks that were around and they were very entrepreneurial. They were very much, you had to know someone to be recommended. And even when I went to them, I thought, well, everyone, everyone here looks like me. They might not have my background, but they look like me. And I wanted to create something that was kind of inclusive from the get-go. So, and, and I suppose that stems from my upbringing, growing up in Hackney, where, you know, where I lived was a melting pot of all different cultures and we all got on and we all supported each other. And I couldn't understand why the world of work didn't look the same. So literally, I was moaning to my husband, uh, we was away for a weekend, um, away from the kids, and I was saying to him, you know, why is there not a website for me, you know, that tells stories of women that have been there and, some, and done it? Why is there not a network that pulls us all together? And he's like, why don't you just build one? And I say, yeah, I have to factor in, he's a technologist, right? Don't buy me flowers, build me websites. So he built my website and he bought me domains, which turned out belonged to someone else, but anyway, um, as in like the brand. Um, and we put the website out there and it, there was nothing that back in those days. I mean, there was, again, a few established networks, but they were more kind of entrepreneurial. But gender was on no one's agenda. Diversity wasn't even a term. So we were really early to the party. It was a slow news day. We were lucky if we had one article a month. And I remember we used to build our, our newsletters in, I can't even remember the name of it. Um, it was this website, it was like a, a website builder, but it used to take us two days to do a newsletter. By the time we'd done it, everything was old. So yeah, crazy times. Working of a weekend and balance it off the side of my desk. But I had this kind of passion that, you know, that, Eventually, I would build something that would be of use for women. And then 2010, Lord Davis come along and said, more women need to be on boards. And I think that really opened the floodgate for gender conversations. And then we started to see little networks like women in mining and women in aviation and all these little networks kind of spinning up. And my website had something to talk about. So today, roll forward, that is uh, about 120,000 women. We tell stories of women that have been there, seen it and done it, gender allies, um, male allies. We tell you where to network, what events are there. We promote anything that everyone else is doing. Um, as I say, we're supported by around 150 corporate clients who support us with their sponsorship. Uh, we do research, we do conferences, we do awards. And then seven years ago, I built the same thing for women in tech. So that's got about 50,000 women on it. And it's everything you ever need as a female technologist, what podcasts to listen to. You know, we've got our own podcasts, um, what books I should be reading, who are the amazing people in tech where should i be volunteering because we kind of need more role models in tech so i kind of built that out as well so i left the big day job um it's eight years ago now god when i look at that um yeah eight years ago to kind of do what i do and now i i live in my she shed and i create opportunities for women so that's me in a nutshell i do loads of other stuff wow. what an what an incredible story honestly wow I've got my lots of pies. I do. I love talking in schools. I do a lot of work with kids in schools. Okay. So I wrote a book seven years ago. The second one, it's on its way at some point. So I wrote a book. I do a lot of public speaking in corporates around how women can drive their own careers. Don't wait there and sit and wait for your firm to do it for you. There's a lot of things you can be doing as an individual. So I do a lot of kind of public speaking about that. But yeah, if it's if it's to do with women or gender progression or anything like that, generally it's a pie I've got my finger in somewhere. So, uh, as Sarah said, just such an amazing story. Thanks so much for sharing uh, that with us, Vanessa. I just have one question, first of all. Do you ever stop? It sounds like you're, it sounds like you probably get about three hours sleep because you're just doing so much. But um, I guess I told you I've got COVID at the moment. Even then, I'm still on kind of overdrive. But no, do you know what it is? I think when you love what you do, when you're so passionate, 
about the cause, it doesn't feel like work. So any opportunity, I live, I live in the world of gender. So obviously International Women's Day, a week away, International Women's Day is every day for me. <laughs> it's, it's 365 days a year. So, and there is so many more conversations now about that. There's so many other people involved having really meaningful conversations that we should have been having years ago, you know, around women, intersectional women, you know, the things that we, the, you know, the societal issues that still surround women's progression. It's a big old party. I mean, roll back all those years ago, there was me and a couple of others in the room, you know, that was it. And now that room is packed with people. So I'm still learning. I'm still learning about all of those different things. So every time I could get tired, I just get inspired. Amazing. Uh, I just wanted to, sorry, if I may, I just wanted to ask one question about the community, how yeah. you how you built it. So you started in 2014, eight yeah. years ago. No, so. no, no. I started in, I started building We Are The City in 2008. 2008. And then you saw the, and then you saw the impetus for the announcements in 2010. Yeah. You've got up to 120,000 women, which is an incredible network. Can you just talk us through when it started to snowball in terms of the community members? When, when did you see the impetus and how did you build, you know, your first like 500 and then did it go to 10,000? I'll tell you, and especially for those of you who are building communities and you think it's slow burning and it's frustrating. When Stuart and I first set up We Are The City, I remember, I think it was a couple of weeks later, we looked and we had, I think it was something like 10 signed up members and we cracked a bottle of champagne. I can remember it true to this day. We was like, oh my God, you know, we're going viral with like 10 members. Um, and when we looked, it was his mum, like his dad. <laughs> it was nobody. Um, and then by bit, we, so I never understood, and the session I'm doing for someone else later on is about corporate sponsorship. So I never realised that corporates would help you and sponsor you to do the things that you did, that you wanted to do. So for the best part of seven years, if I wanted to do something, I'd fund it. I'd pay for it myself at my own pocket. You know, I might go to a venue and say, look, can you give us the space? Can you put on a couple of drinks? But generally, I'd top that up with my own money. So we started to do small events. I remember our first ever event was an event called Data Night. So the ladies went there and they this lovely venue in the city, Eight Club, give me the venue. We had a load of uh, college students from the London College of Fashion, I think it was, and they came with accessories and scarves and they were transforming, while the girls were having drinks, they were transforming the women from their day look to their night look. It was fabulous. Um, but that was kind of one of our first events. And then we put all of our savings into having a launch event at the House of Fraser, which isn't there anymore in the city and we had catwalks and stuff. So it was a lot more lifestyle then than what it was. But we had our first newspaper headline in City AM. Um, obviously it was financial crisis time, but the markets had fallen in Asia. And I think the headline in City AM was, as the markets fall, the girls go shopping, which was a bit naughty, but all PR is good PR. Um, so, because the ladies were queuing around the house of Fraser to attend this event. So we built the community that way. A lot of small events, little bite-sized, 50 by 30, they'd sign up to the newsletters. And then obviously the more kind of the women's agenda conversation changed, and I would think it's post kind of Lord Davis, and the more other communities were spinning up, and the more we were putting across this message that we're not just promoting what we're doing because we don't do enough. We never really had any commercial product products at that particular point, but we're promote what everyone else is doing. So very collaborative from the get-go. Um, and it wasn't so much of that back in those days because everyone's clients were their own, my sponsors, my kind of, you know, my community, whereas now it's a lot more collaborative. 
But I think that's when it started to build. So the big numbers come, the bigger events that we did. So when we started doing conferences, you know, obviously now you're talking big numbers. And nowadays, where we've been able to go virtual over the last two years, we're picking up that global audience, which is making the numbers even bigger. And it's bringing a lot of diversity of thought for when we go out to our community and crowdsource if we're doing a conference or, you know, we go and ask them things. So we're getting much more diversity of thought. So I would say that's the tipping point when we try to do the large events. But don't be discouraged if your first 10 people are your family members. That's my point. That's, I, I just think what's quite, quite interesting about that is that you've taken it off, you started offline with offline events and you brought them online. Yeah. But what I'm really quite interested, it sounds like over the last two years, you've just accelerated that to a global audience and, and the yeah. insights, the diversity that's coming to that. Because I was going to ask you, is this a global community or is it mainly it is a... Now. I mean, but also yeah. I think one of the things that I would say, we built a community for seven years without selling them a product. We never had anything to sell. I had no commercial products. I don't believe in putting things behind firewalls. Uh, sorry, paywalls. Um, I do firewalls, not paywalls. Um, <laughs> I always wanted to keep our stuff open and financially accessible. Even the things that we do today, like all of our tickets, are much lower priced than our competitors. That's whether it's an awards dinner or whether it's a conference or whatever, because I don't want finance to be a barrier. And I know it from my own kind of, you know, my own upbringing. I couldn't have afforded to do some of those things. So there's there's a lot of kind of DNA in who we are as to why we do the things that we do. But that community was very much built up. Come to us and we're signpost you off to people that can help you. We never asked them for anything. And even now, much to my own kind of um, my own mentor, mentor's frustration, we don't hard sell to them at all. And if they want to take part in something that we're doing, then great. If they don't, then have a look on our website. There might be someone else that's doing something. So, for example, International Women's Day, we've got our first in-person event in two years. Just 50 spaces going on. Uh, I think it's uh, middle of March at Public Sapien. Um, but we're promoting about 15 or even more other International Women's Day events. So you don't want to come to us? Absolutely fine. Go and have a look at these. This may fit more in with what you want to do or your industry or whatever like that. So I think that's really important sometimes to build your community up first, build the loyalty, build the trust, and then you can start to kind of do other things with them. But the hard sell was never really, it's not really who we are. No, and, and it's very, what's coming across very clear to me is that you come at this from a place of um, wanting to support and uplift others. You don't come at it from a place of, you know, commercial sort of, you know, driving. This no. is, this comes from quite a, a motivation that's deep in in, in you and in your heart, which yeah. is but I really think, you know what, I think that's worked because you look at a lot of businesses now that are all social impact and social purpose. We've always been like that, you know, yeah. and I may not ever retire on a boat in Monaco off the back of what I do, but it was never about that. That's the thing. It was never about that. And it's about the impact that we can make. You know, obviously, we are a commercial business. It does pay my living. It pays the, the ladies that work for me. And, and whatever money we've got left, we put into things we don't ask for sponsorship for. So it's never been a hardcore commercial model business. We get we get pleasure in other ways, like seeing one of our award winners on the TV or they've written a book or, you know, they're, they're out there. One recently, she's got a statue on the South Bank, you know, of her. And it's so little things like that. It's like that's what it was about and as long as it pays the bills then yeah so 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 tactically vanessa when you were talking about the events and you were running 50 person events or you know 
100 or 30, uh, you were getting them to sign up to your newsletter, uh, I think you said. Yeah. And what was so was the newsletter the key kind of um, way in which you could tell how many members you were growing? Yeah. And, and also, how, how has social media now played a role with kind of how you're building the community? Social media was a game changer for us because previously, I say, we had newsletters. That was it. So the measurement was how many numbers were on MailChimp. That was kind of the community. And then along came social media. And I never forget, I went to um, a networking event. It was Girl Geek Dinners, I think they were called. It was like a tech one. And some girl was talking about Twitter. And like I was mortified she, like, she put a tweet out saying, I'm in Oxford Street. Does anyone want to move out, come and meet up? And I was like, oh, my God, how did you go out there like that? It's crazy times. And then I wanted to have a Twitter account. I was on social, I was on LinkedIn before that. And I was like, oh my God, it's a whole new world. And I think Twitter was different then. It was everyone was finding their feet. It wasn't necessarily as negative. So I started to build up a community on Twitter and that was my go-to, LinkedIn and Twitter. But I was using Twitter to follow my clients. I was using Twitter to learn, to follow influencers that, of the time, to learn about different things and give me direction for the business. So. I found that really, really interesting. I couldn't have curated a newsfeed like what I was getting from Twitter. Um, so that was kind of me being old school and then obviously setting up the accounts for We Are The City, having the website auto-tweet some of the articles that were only really there if someone visitors, uh, visited the site. That was a game changer as well. So we then we could start really getting under the skin of, of what people were reading, you know, what they were interested in, where they was engaging with us and asking us questions, which would steer ideas onto what we should be publishing. So the whole kind of social media movement, I think, A, had a massive uptick in terms of our own community and just gives us different channels to talk to people on. So even though we've got our database numbers, there's probably loads of people that are out there on socials that are not members of our database, but we interact with every single day because they don't want another yeah. newsletter in the inbox. But who can blame them? It's a good yeah. <laughs> but it's fascinating that you're, you're using those conversations and insights to drive your conference agendas and you know yeah. and the topics that you're hearing about and maybe speakers that you want to invite and you know what you're focused on here is conversation, isn't it? Really, and, yeah, and being able to connect. And we get complimented a lot on our use of social media. You know, so at the moment, obviously, we're heavily promoting our tech conference that happens on the 1st of April. And there's 160 different tech sessions on that. There's near over 200 speakers. So all of our sponsors have got to get their moment in the sun across our socials. All of those speakers have got to get their moment in the sun. Then there's the charities that we're supporting and everything like that. So for when I'm doing stuff like this, I have a social media team, but I actually draft in a third party to come and help us because it's so big. And you want to make sure that you get maximum exposure across loads and loads of different channels, that you're doing all the advertising and the marketing you need. So we get a, a company that's been with us a long time that just comes in and just gives us a little bit more support of kind of what we need. But even uh, live tweeting at conferences, I mean, back in the day when you could trend, all of our conferences, our awards, we always used to trend number one in London, number one in the UK. You know, we always did. And I... The team that we're working with at the moment, they're like, we'll get you back to that. And it's so hard to trend these days. You know, it's so different. Um, and we'd always get knocked off by a male sporting event or, you know, something like that. It really used to frustrate me. But, yeah, social media has been a game changer for us. And we're still learning, like, on new channels. So, obviously, I'm over on Twitter. I've got a verified account on there, which is great. But I'm interested in that because 
a lot of the people that helped me to build those numbers maybe not necessarily be as active on Twitter anymore or they've gone on to other channels. So I noticed there's a different kind of engagement that goes on on Twitter versus some of the other platforms that I've newly discovered, like the, the shiny and really pretty Instagram. Mm. Where I go I down Instagram rabbit holes on a regular basis and I'm like, you have no time to be what reels of French Bulldogs. Well, I was, <laughs> was going to ask you, because French Bulldogs or flowers, which I know you're very passionate about, you run a, a side flower. Anything flower like business <laughs> and then you got the we are the city.com you got we are tech women you've got your own personal channels you've got all the different social media channels you've got you've got so many topics that you talk about how do you how do you create a strategy that is like focused uh because i imagine the business side is is you know needs to have that focus yeah i mean obviously and also because we've got so busy we're doing a lot of things in parallel so we've got our rising star awards that's going on so calling up for nominations, there's like 24 sponsors on that. Again, they all need their kind of time in the sun because they're incredible and they support our work. You've got the conference going on. So it is a case of I do a lot of amplification, not just for my own things, but for everyone else's. So if I see something, I'm a sharer on LinkedIn. I don't always comment, but I'm like my community needs to know that. So I'd like to think that I create a good kind of content feed for people. But with my own socials, it's OK every single day on one of my channels whether it's my instagram account or linkedin or twitter i should be saying something about what we're doing whether it's the upcoming iwd event or our campaign that launches on the first of march around iwd whether it's a conference whether it's rising stars there's got to be something so i try and make sure that i just carve out 20 minutes in my day to hop onto one of the channels and share something sometimes i'm a little bit of a linkedin spammer guilty as charged because I'll have a bank of about five things that I should be sharing and literally it's like hey know about that know about that so I probably do drive a little bit mad but once I've got it out there it's off my to-do list it's on my it's, you know it's off my list I'm not so much on I say on Instagram I'm new to Instagram and I love it over there I just I just do it's just such a supportive and especially for women I see so much support on there and I was never one for Instagram and it was my daughter so she's a campaigner for disability. So, and she was kind of building up her community and the support that she was getting, you know, around on Instagram. And she's like, mum, why don't you go onto Instagram? And then that was it. Next thing I know, I've got a flower account. I've got a dog account. <laughs> I've got a account. I've got a work account. And now I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, and you know what? I literally, I think it was a holiday snap a couple of weeks ago. I was lucky enough to go to Barbados. And I think I posted a picture of one of my holiday sats on my work account. I literally had a meltdown. Got to fix that. Quickly delete it. Yeah, I love it. But I equally love LinkedIn and I love it. I just, I don't know, and you guys would know all this stuff. I kind of noticed lately that there's a bit of a lack of engagement on LinkedIn. Like even when I look at other people's posts, there's not as many likes or there's not as many comments. And I don't know whether we're all just coming out of the pandemic or what's causing that, but it's just... We used to talk a lot on LinkedIn as people and as community, and maybe because it's got bigger, I'm not sure, but it's definitely an observation, or maybe it's what I'm posting, but it's just an observation that that engagement seems to have come down a little bit. And is it because we're on other channels? I know I'm flipping the interview now, aren't I? No, 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 it's brilliant. I love it. So, I mean, you're on LinkedIn, you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter, and you kind of talked a little bit about how you use them differently. So you've got LinkedIn for probably more your business communication. More work stuff. Instagram for your Barbados posts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and 
I'm looking at your she shed, Vanessa, and I'm thinking Instagram is definitely your platform for it someone is. who's got a visual eye for design. My um, bedroom, as everyone yeah. calls it. Yeah. <laughs> and then Twitter for listening, conversations, influence, um, that sort of yeah. thing. So it's, have I got that right? Um, yeah, absolutely. And I still, I mean, I probably am on Twitter less than I ever was. I go on, I try and go on once a day, once a day and a half. Because again, my team are doing such a fab job with the social media posting and the images that they create and stuff like that. I need to be amplifying them because you know it's it's we're all part of that one team. But in between that, I've never really been one on social media that likes to constantly talk about myself or what we're doing. So it's always, and I always say this to my team, when we're putting out stuff, if it becomes the we are the city story or the we are tech women story, that's not who we are. There's got to be tweets in between where we're supporting other networks and we're supporting other people because that's the collaborative nature of who we are. So there's very much a direction on that, which is hard when, you know, for example, this weekend, there's going to be a bank of 600 tweets that's loaded for the next four weeks talking about the conference, you know, until we get to that point. So we've got so much to say and those sessions are so good that you it's a fine balance between talking about yourself all the time and also making sure that you consider the rest of your community and you give them the support. So, so I was just I was just gonna comment on one thing you said, Vanessa. Yeah, I mean, the organic reach of LinkedIn has decreased. I think videos which were getting twenty thousand views and more like one or two thousand views now. I think it has it has been suppressed, um, I think more due to the algorithm and just um, you know, some of the stuff that they're doing on LinkedIn. Um, but I had a question about the cultural kind of conversations on the channel. So, yeah, you know, it was great to hear, you know, Sarah, your summary and uh, about Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter for like we are tech women, for example. Do they talk about different topics within tech on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter? Or how does the conversation yeah. change I, I do across the channels? You know, it's really interesting because when you post stuff, and I know it's one of your questions around where do you get engagement? I don't know if I've lost you. No, we're still here. Oh, cool. We okay. Don't, <laughs> don't panic. Um, you know, where you get engagement and things like that, they do talk about different things. So I find sometimes like if I put a question out on LinkedIn, there'd be a lot more kind of dialogue than if I put it out on, say, Twitter. And the same goes with Instagram. So I think because a lot of my community sits within the corporate world, they're going to kind of have a conversation. It depends what I ask. Sometimes, obviously, they know they're connected to their bosses and their employers, so they're not going to be open and frank, um, in which case we direct message and stuff like that. But generally, you can, you can still have a good conversation, I think, and get some good feedback. And LinkedIn also has its place. So, for example, if I post something like, I've got a kid that's looking for work experience or um, can you help this youngster starting out? Then literally everyone responds. So I think there's definitely that everyone wants to help everyone. But I think we're just so content saturated yeah. that we just it just gets to a point where and especially in my kind of space, in the gender space, in the EDI space, there's so much coming at you that you just can't consume it all. Mm. But I, I think I you're right we, about Oh, yeah, go on, Tim. No, well, I was just going to say, I think you're right about the content saturation. I think I think that's, I think a lot of us have been just over-consumed by all of that, haven't we? But I did also remind me, when you said about Instagram, you know, the de the demographic on Instagram is, you know, sort of females between 25 and 35. I mean, it's the perfect um, spot, 
most I think it's a it's a good space for for to you know to reach out to women. So I, I just wanted to mention that it's a great it's a great but place. Also it's a great place to learn. So for example, there are huge gaps. As much as I work in gender, there's massive gaps in my knowledge about certain things. So going onto Instagram, the people that I've kind of followed on there. So for example, um, Gabby Edlin, she talks about period poverty. You know, I've kind of had a bit of a baptism of fire listening to her and following her. There's um, another group called not your wife you know which focuses on you know stereotypes around the asian women community but from that kind of millennials you know i've learned so much by following them things around you know cancer for example with deborah james who's known as bow babe like literally oh, yeah. Learning. yeah but just yeah. learning from them so as much as i'll joke and go oh, i go down into rabbit holes and stuff like that probably i don't realize how much i'm learning by the people that i'm following and it's opening up my own mind to question about my own my own biases, my own how can I be more of an ally and stuff like that. So I think, you know, social media isn't just about putting stuff out about yourself. It's a huge learning opportunity if you follow the right people. And, and, and also what I love about what you said with the content saturation piece and you share what you think is valuable to share, you are an influence and content curator for your community. So they don't have to scroll through all their feeds they can follow you and say actually this is worth reading because yeah, Vanessa shared so. I'd like to think so else you know I mean I'm gonna bore you yeah. <laughs> at some point you know because I get overexcited about things but generally I mean I'm <laughs> gender I'm passionate about youth progression social mobility given my own kind of background you know I want voices that have been suppressed for far too long to be heard and if I can lend my platform and this isn't me being mother trees or anything but if I can lend my platform to amplify the voices of others then I think when you get to that particular position that's what you should be doing add your own voice in every now and then but let the other voices be heard because eventually they're the people that's going to take the batons from people like me you know there comes a time when I'll have to sit down and start knitting and hang up my boot <laughs> Uh, something tells me, Vanessa, you're never going to do that. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I just said you won't. And I think everyone, anyone with a platform should be looking at that. You know, there was some wonderful initiative last year. There was an initiative called Pass the Mic. Yeah. Which was kind of spearheaded um, in the UK by a lady called Vanessa Kingori, who worked, she's, um, she's very high up. She's got a new job title. So excuse my COVID brain, it's escaping me. But she's basically one of the top ladies at Vogue. And where loads of celebrities handed over their, their social media accounts to um, other lesser known individuals in that space, all black women. And they took over their Instagram accounts for the day, you know, and it was incredible, you know, that kind of reach, giving their platforms over to other women. So I think whether or not it's a past the mic initiative, it's anything like that, you know, we let people do takeovers of our own social media account. So we're looking at at the moment, you have it for a day and talk about what you're passionate about, you know? So I think, I think that's what you should be doing. Tim, that's really fascinating actually, isn't it? I think, you know, when you get to a position of influence, what you've just there, said there, Vanessa, you need to start putting other people yeah. in front of your, you know, you're you've got a platform that you can now lend. You can you can make a difference. You can. Yeah, I think I think that's really cool because you see some brands sometimes get influencers take over the brand channel and say, "Hey, it's not going to be the the corporate brand speaking now. It's going to be this wonderful influencer you know, for yeah. the next day, for example." And it really drives the engagement. As long as they're not edited. <laughs> <laughs> 
right? Yes, it, it, exactly. As long as long as it's organic. So I was I was going to ask you, Vanessa. Um, there's a lot of brands uh, talking about women in tech and trying yeah. to do some really cool stuff in women in tech. And this is maybe a hard question, but what would be your advice on how they could run a really cool initiative or do something really collaborative or a wonderful partnership with women in tech that could also, I mean, when we're talking to people in, in marketing, I suppose there has to be some kind of uh, exposure for the brand, but what, what could they do which would be music to your ears? I mean, there's been a lot of great campaigns that have been kind of set up by some of the women's networks over the years. We had, you know, this is what an engineer looks like, um, you know, which has been fabulous to kind of show that engineers come in all shapes and sizes, all different backgrounds and kind of stuff like that. So I think from an engagement point, you know, keep it authentic would be my greatest piece of advice. You know, don't polish it up like some corporate campaign, you know, engage with engage with real people or in the real jobs, you know, who can talk to you with pure realness. And I'm using that word a lot, but, you know, I think that's, that's where the heart of it is, you know, in terms of, you know, letting them share their own stories um, as women in tech. So there are a lot of barriers. We've just recently done a piece of research with Ipsos Mori and Tech Talent Charter about the barriers women face in tech, um, which I'm happy to share. It's on my LinkedIn. Um, and there's things that, you know, one in five women are thinking of leaving the industry. You know, they talk about clear and inconsistent pathways to kind of progress and get ahead. They talk about sexism. They talk about lack of sponsorship, you know, male, lack of male allyship. There's so much stuff there that I think companies could kind of jump. Just take one of those. Do you know what I mean? One of those, yeah. like, something like that. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, use the word sex role just because it's women in tech, you know, just tell our stories. That would be a good start. Yeah. Do you know, hello, Tim, you're back. So, sorry about that. I, for every some reason, time, isn't it? <laughs> every no, time we do these. <laughs> it's not every time, Sarah. And I don't know what happened, My, but it's changed my camera perspective as well. So keep on talking. I could listen to everything, but I just wasn't visible. So sorry about that. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, Vanessa, it's really funny, this. Honestly, too. We'll let you sort out up there. Do you know, though, Vanessa, it's quite interesting because I started my career in tech and I know this is not about me, but you just, everything you're, remi you're kind of reminding me. I mean, my first job was at IBM. Oh, there he is. We can see you now. Um, and then remained in tech ever since. You know, scary place, I thought, because I don't I didn't really, you know, understand. Every single one of us, every single one of us, every person watching this, everyone is a technologist, right? Yeah. So many companies I speak to today, or I would describe as a bank or they're a retail organization. Now talk to me, I'm a tech company. We're a tech company. Yeah, yeah. We're a tech company that makes everyone technologists, right? So, and I mean, I've been saying it for years. Take the tech away, other than kind of manual jobs and stuff like that. Who can do their work? None of us. So every single one of us has that aspect to us. And that's why I'm so passionate that everyone should have tech and digital skills because future world of work, and kind of stuff like that if we're all technologies now what does that future look like so yeah passion point of mine yeah well, i could think like, I, I could think back to, yeah, so, <laughs> to, to that 2001 2002 when the when computers used to not work you used to have a really important filing date and it used to be good but so you could actually catch up on what you needed to have done now you just wouldn't be able to do anything no, exactly. I mean, we, you know, with the winds last week, I, I live quite rurally, so we lost 
complete power. And then all I had was half a battery left. And it was just like, it's like you've taken my world away. You know, I was like blowing in a bag, like kind of thing, you know, having a panic. Because there was so, it wasn't so much there's things I can't do on my phone. I needed access to my files. I needed to be able to get onto, you know, some of our other platforms and that. And, and I couldn't do it. So, you know, we we do, all of us, we, we need these systems that we use. And that's why I'm saying, I think, you know, digital skills and stuff like that, it's definitely one for the future, which is why I'm so passionate about kids having digital skills. And when you think about the kids, they're already hugely up on all of this stuff because of their use of social media. So, um, so, so, so now that you built this wonderful community, what, what are the what are the biggest challenges for you going forward? Keeping to kind of maintain, sorry, what is it? keeping them, keeping you know, them. making sure that we stay fresh and innovative. You know, bear in mind we started our community fourteen years ago, so there's probably like an age demographic that we've got. So, how do we keep ourselves fresh so that we're picking up? the you know the ladies that are finishing university uh, who i've got a different set of interests right they're more they're more interested in cultural things you know so they're more social media savvy so it's about us not doing what we've always done like you know we've got to kind of just keep looking at that next generation and seeing what they want to make sure we're looking after them as well so you've got our community in the middle you've got um the youngsters kind of coming in so i think just constantly evolving in order to keep that community because you can sit here and say oh we've got a community of a, a hundred and whatever thousand and then it dwindles every single month before you know it you're talking to a very small community so that's down to me and my team to keep making sure that we keep fresh um and that you know and that we're talking to those younger members of, of of our community and saying okay how can we help you what's the biggest thing on your career agenda and not just sit in our ivory towers and think we know what the answers are and though, but those new 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 generations are bringing in new social platforms as well. So I know you've just only gone on to Instagram, but you might want to consider TikTok, Vanessa, because right. that... <laughs> I've done a dance or two on TikTok. I'll leave you to find that. And then I found out what the dance was. And my kids got told off about that one, but they're not said. Um, but yeah. I mean, I'm lucky enough to know the guys over at TikTok. You know, there's a friend of mine that heads up DNI of that space, and we. We've kind of, you know, we've talked to them and stuff like that. And they, TikTok is a fantastic platform. And I think, you know, obviously it's making its way into the business world and stuff like that. We're seeing brands, obviously, on TikTok. Um, but I don't really know if that's quite ready. We're quite ready to make that jump yet. Just just yet. Mm. Maybe. Yeah, I think, I I think it's going to be fascinating how, how you try and keep, you know, multiple different generations of of women interested in different things on different channels. I mean, I think it's it's like any brand out there. You've got to you've got to choose to focus at some point. Otherwise, you can't be everything to everybody. Absolutely. I mean, our main focus has always been women below director level. You know, we focus on career development. You know, and knowing stuff around the work environment that you should know. Pension um, pension reforms, you know, pay gaps. These are things that affect us as women, you know, things that you should be aware of. So we're continuing to support that. But I think where we've diversified out a lot, when lockdown first started, we set up this series of webinars called We Are Virtuals. Literally within a week of that of, of COVID happening in March, by the next week we had our first one. We reached out to a load of our coaching friends and said, look, everyone's in a bit of a state of flux. We don't know, you know, what's going on in the world. 
can you lend us your experience for an hour? And we're set up these free webinars every week. And they started up being managing mental health, dealing with anxiety, how to turn your home into a gym when you've only got two tins of beans. You know, they were literally everything. <laughs> and I think we're on about 150 of them. We've just kept doing them. I mean, and, and they've had thousands and thousands of views globally and companies were using them and sharing them on their internets and stuff like that. So we was able to diversify a lot out of the career stuff and start talking about other things that were of interest. So I think as long as we keep doing that, I think, you know, we can keep we can keep the millennials. I don't know about the Gen Z's um, happy because I think the Gen Z's are going to find their own kind of platform. But eventually they'll come into my world. But you you focus so much on listening to the community. I think um, I think for organisations that do that, that put as much effort is into listening to the community as they do publishing to the community. I think you'll find. I, I don't know. My my view is that that that's how, that's what keeps you young. That's what keeps you, you know connected. Something. That's what keeps you fresh. So. so I've been doing loads of like prep interviews for our conference, and I've been on the phone with loads of senior leaders. And the biggest theme that's coming out from all of them is listen listen to your communities any problem that you want to solve in your company go to a grassroots and listen to what's going on so you're quite right like when we build up the conference like this whole thing that we're doing on the first of april i reached out to the women in tech community and said what do you want me to put on the conference i'm building it for you tell me what topics you're interested in and they gave me a framework which then i was able to organically build upon to build that conference but it's talking to them otherwise i could have sat there and said i think they need to learn about this this and this and I'm, I mean, I, I'm still, I still run a tech business. I'm still a technologist at heart. Am I technical? No. But that it's, it's, it was just having their expertise at hand. And what we deliver, hopefully, will hit the spot for them. But I, but I think what you've showed there is that there's not, it's not an egocentric strategy that you're putting into place. You're, you're, you're listening and you're sharing good content. You're promoting other people's content. And that's why you've successfully built your community rather than you saying, hey, I'm Vanessa, I, I want I want the limelight, I want I want to be the multimillionaire, you know, and retire in Monaco on my yacht. You know, that, that, that. that. <laughs> I'm not up to that. Yeah. <laughs> She's not gonna <laughs> say no, but you know <laughs> those who wait, right? So but yeah, yeah. see where I'm on at the moment. I'm on, I'm on a journey to something else. I don't quite know where that journey goes or where it ends up, you know. So you just I've built this wonderful community. It makes me happy most days, right? I get to see incredible women, our rising star winners, our Tech Women 100 winners, the people that have done their first ever talk on our conference platform that are now out there in Europe on stages with thousands of people. And I mean, I could literally talk for hours about all of these tiny little things that we see that, don't get me wrong, they were marvellous long before we come along, but we've played a tiny little part on. And that that just makes you happy. Do you know what I mean? If it pays the bills and earns you a living, then absolutely great. But who knows? I might be a millionaire with a yacht in Monaco one day. We just don't know. <laughs> we'll watch out for that. <laughs> what are you on? <laughs> if um, uh, I'd be really interested to know, just I mean, actually, I'm looking down these questions, Tim. I don't think we've really asked any of them. We've just gone where the conversation yeah. has taken us. So it's brilliant. No, honestly, Vanessa, it's wonderful. Um, what would you? What advice would you give to someone who's starting out? It was someone who's really thinking you know, in a role, uh, maybe just joined industry for the first time, you know, and you, you think from, from a social point of view, where do I start? How do I start building my community? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll do a whole talk on, on this. It's part of one of the ones that I do. But I think pick a channel, do it and do it well. 
that would be my absolute advice. You know, I think as a Twitter, I still think it's a great place to listen, to understand your industry, to get those nuggets of news that you can throw into conversation when you first meet people to help with your networking. So I think Twitter is a great place for that. You know, more and more now we see CEOs on Twitter. You never used to see that. You know, they've got more of a voice. So I think that one, definitely LinkedIn. It goes without saying, right? It's the, maybe I'll age myself by saying, it's the yellow pages, right, of our time. We're going to look someone up and we're going to find out a little bit about them. LinkedIn has evolved, you know, with blogs and videos and all the other things you can do. You know, they seem to be really moving the platform forward. So it's like a little microsite. So do LinkedIn and do it well, right? That would be, that would be what I would say. I get... I always say this in my talks, you know, you talk, you look at people's LinkedIn summaries and profiles. And for me, it's like looking in a shop window and some people are dressing themselves up as sponges when I want to see the cream cake. Do you know what I mean? Tell me what you're doing. It's a place you're allowed to be a little bit more boastful, you know, talk about your accolades and your achievements. So I would say create your shop window on LinkedIn. That's the first thing. Build up your networks, build up your connections and then add other social channels. I think when you try and spread yourself around so many different you won't do any of them well because it's just so, so time consuming and I, I, I know that we're probably running out of time very soon so i just really wanted to ask you um how much progress do you think we're making with the whole gender equality and and your kind of mission because you're obviously doing this out of pure passion for for trying to sort of drive change are you are you um I, are you happy with some of the progress? Obviously, I expect you to say that there's much more that we need to do. Well, it'll be fixed when I'm 170. So let me put it to you that way, right? So World Economic Forum, gender parity, still 120 years, gone up slightly more because of the pandemic. And, you know, we've taken steps back. Um, am I happy? I think we've made some progress in some areas. Um, it's not been fast enough. So, for example, this week, there's um, there's the new Women on Boards report. Um, previously, Hampton Alexander, they've got a new name. I think it's the Women on Boards Review. Um, you know, 49% or 39% of women on boards. But you have to kind of look at some behind those numbers. You know, and it's outstanding that we've got that many women on boards when previously we kind of had none, if you roll back kind of before 2010 or not that many. So when you look at things like that, you think, yeah, I've made progress. But then... I have to look at the progress we've made. And if we've made progress for women that look like me, then we've not made progress. So for me, gender progression is when it's for all women, right? So whether that's at senior level, whether that's funding for their businesses, whether that's, you know, I mean, obviously you've got societal things like childcare and whatever, but when all women start to move forward, that's when we can say that we've made progress. So I'd love to give you a rosy story and go, yeah, it's all great. Pockets of it, but... You look at the amount of campaigners that are still out there and the things, you know, childcare costs and stuff like that. It's not an equal playing field for women. And it will be years, decades um, until we get there. Sorry not to end on a lighter note. <laughs> no, no, I think it's I think it's really important because, you know, because it, uh, because it, it's good that there's progress to be made. But I just really wanted to understand your perspective on on, you know, it's a bit like when people talk about climate change, there's obviously progress made, but there's a lot of campaigners out there that want much faster progress. And it, it's just really on. great to hear your thoughts. In my work, if I look at my world of banking, there's a huge amount of progress work there. Um, you know, we do see more senior women in banking. We do see more women rising through the ranks. I get to talk to a lot more women um, that are kind of, you know, at that kind of C-suite level. So there's, there is progress. But again, it's slow. We've been talking about this for a lot of years, right? Mm. So 
we should be able to push things forward a little bit faster. We've got the tools. We know it's the right thing for society, the right thing for business. It shouldn't be taking us this long. So that's more my point. But yeah, there has been progress in areas. Yeah, I follow some of the the posts from Mother Pucker on Instagram. Oh, um, yeah, amazing cat activist in this area. Yeah, flexible working and stuff like that. But then again, you know, flexible working ain't a woman's thing. You know, it's a societal thing. It's a man and woman thing, and all mm -hmm. genders. You know, so it's it. We shouldn't kind of say, oh, "Give you know, fix the women. Let's give them flexible working. What to do? Thanks for that." Um, it's not about that. No. You're no, quite right. Campaigners and lots more channels for them to have a voice. And that's where social media comes in because now we're hearing the voices of these and they're people that can join them in their displeasure, at, you know, that that is a particular thing or whatever. So that elevation of voices, that elevation of campaigns, for me, is the very positive side of social media. Yeah, and I, I think nothing could exemplify that more than all the wonderful work that you're doing. I love, I love your listening and sharing and elevating all the voices around. So, thank you so much for for coming to, for to speak to us uh, on this, Vanessa. It's been it's been inspirational, and I, I know that you uh, um, speak for everyone that they just really support the work that you're doing. And uh, and, and best of luck with One Tech World uh, yeah. on April the first. And International Women's Day as well. So I know it's your day every day. It shouldn't just be one day, but we're still looking forward no. to all of the content that will be pushed out on the 8th of March. Absolutely. Yes, we've got a campaign running. We've asked 100 women um, what societal change they would make to break the bias for women. So look out for that. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Vanessa. Thanks ever so much. Take care. Really so much. Bye-bye. See you soon. Bye.